Okay, weekly uh, text-based Tanya. We're in the middle of which chapter? 41. 41. Yeah. Yes, 41 is a long chapter. That is correct. Um, God willing, we'll finish chapter 41 today. And, you know, I was just... How did this come up the other day? As someone was discussing with me... I don't even remember where this happened, but it wasn't in a class. It was like in a normal everyday social interaction, which probably means with one of my family members because I don't really socialize outside of that. But I can't remember where this took place. I think maybe it was on Shabbos, and I, and I was explaining the difference between Chochmah and Bina. And I was saying that, you know, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, my, yeah. Oh, we were talking about, someone mentioned men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. And, no, I'm not going to get into the ridiculous pop psychology books. But, uh, so I said, you know, Chochmah, which is masculine thinking, is uh, more, uh, I guess you could call it, call it more structured, whereas Bina, which is feminine thinking, it has the advantage of being free association. One thought leads to another thought leads to another thought. Yeah, so I, I shared that with men, when you're learning with men, it's very hard to get their reaction. They're like, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, okay, next. Yeah. You can't get a reaction out of them. With women, it's very easy to get a reaction. And a reaction to the reaction. And a reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction to the reaction. And they don't care. They will be totally happy getting completely off topic. Or so they think. And that's the problem. Women think they're happy getting off topic. But women, at the end of the day, do have a sense of accomplishment. And when you come to a class day after day and it's just coffee talk and schmoozing, then you lose the excitement because you're like, what are we doing there? We're just schmoozing. So women do appreciate, this is my characterization of women students of the Torah, the women do appreciate uh, having some resistance to their incredible Bina powers placed upon them and being told, okay, that's great, we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) We're not going to talk about that, let's stay focused, and then you actually end up learning chapter after chapter, and then you're like, wow, I'm, a, I'm actually accomplishing something in this class. This is not just uh, a schmooze. So, um, yeah, why am I telling you this? Not because of free association, but because I said we're going to, God willing, ch- finish chapter 41 today if we don't get off topic. And if I do my job as teacher, then we will not get off topic. Anyone want to try? You want to test me? Like in the jujitsu where they like have the guy come at the instructor and he has to like, do you want to try to distract me? Go ahead, try. No, you won't. All right. So, by the way, you see how, e- how easily we could just, if we didn't structure it and keep moving, we could just be on chapter one still. And be, yeah, yeah, why not? No one would come to it because they would be like, we don't accomplish anything, but we could just spend two years learning chapter one. Why not? Okay. We're not off topic. We're never off topic. Yeah. Oh, wow. Extra pressure. We have new students. Okay. So, welcome. All right. So, okay. So, since you're new, we'll tell you like this. This is a class of very, very brilliant people, very spiritual. It is, it is, it really is, it really is. And they ask incredible questions. All of their questions are good. Not all of their questions are on topic. And my job is to keep things moving. And in the end, I think people feel good about it. They feel like, yeah, we're, we're accomplishing. And you see, we're on Chapter 41. And God willing, we'll finish Chapter 41 today. Okay, fine. So... This is going to be tough. If you're here for the first time, there's a lot of new stuff. There's a whole world of new stuff. I can't explain everything, but I'll give you a little bit of context, just a little bit. From the beginning of chapter 41, we were speaking about um, awe, that you need to serve Hashem with awe. Awe is a feeling. Serving Hashem with awe means a feeling of surrender, of, of, of submission, submissiveness. And the way that we muster up that feeling is through meditation. We spoke about meditating on Hashem in, in all of his grandeur, focusing on us specifically, and that that fill, fills us with awe. Then, as someone was mentioning, oh, this is such a long chapter. We're still in chapter 41. Yeah, it is, because chapter 41 
goes through multiple themes. It almost feels like at one point it should be done, but it's not. Because um, then it moves on from the theme of awe, and it's like, oh, by the way, uh, you know, just like you can't serve Hashem without awe, you have to have awe. Even if you have love, it's not enough. You have to have awe. Uh, and then it's like, oh, by the way, you can't serve Hashem only with awe. You also need love. Remember when it did that little pivot? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. So then it spoke about <coughs> you need to serve Hashem with love. And it, remember it said you have to be the servant and the son. Mm -hmm. The Evid and the Ben. The Evid serves with awe. The Ben serves with, with love. Okay. Um, but then we've pivoted into a third subject, which was what I'll call altruistic motivation. So we had awe, we had love, and now we have like a third type of motivation called altruistic motivation or, or mitzvahs l'shma for, for the mitzvah for its own sake, which we're describing as your motivation being the unification of the shechina that occurs when you do a mitzvah. In other words, the healing effect of your mitzvah on the world, on Hashem's presence, on the Jewish people, and that your motivation is to, that you be a catalyst to bring that about. That's, where we, that's actually where we left off. We were talking about that. Um, the unification of the Holy One and His indwelling presence that occurs every time you do a mitzvah. Okay. Um, and that's where we left off. We right by that line. Okay, I'm going to try, to, this is some Kabbalistic stuff coming up, I'm going to try to go through it quickly. Uh, so he says, when you do a mitzvah, you're, you're, so your, your mind should be on the fact, what are you causing when you do a mitzvah? You're causing this unification of, 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 of the Holy One and His indwelling presence, and, and you're causing this, this unification of the source of the Jewish souls and Hashem. And now he says, Also, at the same time, what does it cause? It causes the sweetening of the judgments, the sweetening of the gvores. The gvores means the... Gvore is, is restraint, which is a good thing. Restraint is good and it's holy, but when Hashem restrains himself too much, it's like, well, where is God? <laughs> when Hashem is too hidden then it's scary. So we sometimes say, yeah, you know what? Uh, it's okay if you do, it's okay, it's okay if you go heavy on the chesed, don't go too heavy on the gvura. So sometimes we want to sweeten the gvura, we want to mellow out the gvura. So what happens is when you cause all this unification, follow me here, when you cause this stem cell uh, treatment, you cause the unification where everything becomes one again, so the gvures can become sweet, because why not? Because ultimately, all the divine attributes are one with each other. You follow what I'm saying? Follow, laser focus. All divine attributes are one with each other, so why is gvura less chesed than chesed? It's not. So when you cause that unification to come forth, what happens is you can bring out the sweetness, even though it's seemingly the opposite quality of gvura, you bring out the inherent sweetness of the gvura. Did you all follow that? Don't tell me you didn't follow it. You did? Somebody say it to me. Someone who did follow it. Did anyone follow it? It's not 13 attributes, but they're attributes, yeah. 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 100%, that's correct, yes. Did everyone understand that? Okay. Do you understand it? Instead of them being separated, us doing things actually make our attributes one. So even though the characteristic of Gvura is its judgment and its harshness, but because it's ultimately one with all the other godly attributes, including Chesed, so why can't it be sweet too? It's like the paradox, but the, the infinity of these divine attributes transcends paradox. But that's, that's in potential. When we do the mitzvah, we bring that out, and we sweeten the judgments, which basically, bottom line, means makes the world a kinder, gentler place. Okay. 
Ayadei, yeah, did we say Biskalos Hamidus Yehudam? Ayadei Gilui Rotzin Elyon Baruchu Hamizgal Lamaila Bisarus Lasata. Basically, when you do a mitzvah, you arouse from below, cause an arousal from b- b- below, and recipro- triggers a reciprocal arousal from above. Who Giluya Lamata Beisakatev Amitzus Shehinus Rotzin Yisparach. So when you're down here doing mitzvahs, learning Torah, which is Hashem's will, and you're causing a revelation of Hashem's will, which is higher than all of the attributes, then you cause a unification with the attributes, and then divine toughness can become divine sweetness. That's why I call it the stem cell treatment. Because when it's the stem cell, anything can become anything. right? It's unarticulated. So there's all the potential there just to become whatever you need it to become. You guys following the idea? Okay. okay. Then life gets. Then life is easier. Life is sweeter. And like it says, he quotes two kabbalistic sources: Idur uh, Abba and and Mishnas Chesidim. Shetari Yag Mitzvah Satayin Mishachas Me Chivarta Da Arach Anpin Shu Rotzen Elyon Mekerach Sadim. That the six hundred thirteen mitzvahs come from the whiteness of Arach Anpin. Yeah, we're not going to get into that. That's very Kabbalistic. Which is the, oh, the supernal will, which is the source of chesed. In other words, when you're doing Hashem's will, and you're aligned with that attribute, which is the loftiest attribute, that's why it's called the, the whiteness of the skull. Arach is the, the skull. Um, the point is it's a very high level. It's, it's, it's above the normal system, which is normally compared to the rest of the body. This is above the body or the top of the body. The penthouse, the skull. Um, when you're connected to the, 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 the will, which is the highest of the attributes, then the other attributes sort of reveal aspects of themselves that they don't normally reveal, and the judgments get sweetened. That's why I call it the stem cell treatment. Okay. Now, Although this kavana, remember, the whole point here, we're talking about kavana. We're talking about your intent, what you're thinking about. The point of this chapter is not to tell you what phenomenon is occurring when you're doing mitzvahs. The point of the chapter is to tell you what phenomenon is occurring when you're doing mitzvahs that you should be thinking about before you do the mitzvah as motivation to do the mitzvah. Okay? So you're, you're truly getting inspired by this thought, this thought that my mitzvah is about to cause this unification. Oh my goodness, it's so amazing. Um, at the same time, he says, you need to have in your heart abundant love exclusively for Hashem in your heart. In other words, to give Hashem gratification and not to satiate your own spiritual thirst. You follow that? It's an aspect of the Lishma. Because this intense thing is happening and you know that it's happening and you're getting all excited about the fact you're about to make it happen through your learning Torah or doing mitzvahs, we give a little warning and say, hey, don't get too excited. It's not about your spiritual experience. It's about the gratification you're causing for Hashem. Ella, but rather, what should you be like? Like a son who works hard, who strives for his father and mother, whom he loves more than himself, more than his own life. Like it was explained above in the name of the Rai Mehemna, I will give hundred dollars. Is that condescending to give monetary prizes to anyone who could tell me? He says, we mentioned Kibrod Ishtadl from the Rai Mehemna earlier in Tanya. Who could tell me which chapter? It says we mentioned it earlier. A number one through forty. Rai Mahemna is a p- portion of Zohar, but I'm not asking you where in Zohar it says it. I'm asking you where in Tanya. He says we've mentioned it previously in Tanya. No, but that's not a bad guess, but that's not what it is. Everything's with Hashem's light. What does it say, Pat? Where did it mention Kibrod Yishtadl? 
the king tempted his son? No. But that's also a good guess. But no. That has to do with Tanya's game. Tanya board game. <laughs> which he said, we mentioned this already earlier in Tanya. So we're on chapter 41. I want to know which chapter 1 through 40 did he mention it in? The idea, it's called, it's, it's an Aramaic term, because it's from Zohar, so that's in, in Aramaic, called Kibra, like a son, Ishtadl, who strives. For his father and his mother, the Rocham Loin Yatemegarme who he loves more than himself. It's it's a it's a description, it's a metaphorical description of a type of love where the Jew is totally selflessly dedicating himself to Hashem with no personal interest, like a loyal child who is totally devoted to his parents' that happiness. Is, is it a single digit or a double digit? <laughs> okay, I'm taking away the hundred dollars. And if no, not thirty-six. No, no. Okay, I'm taking them. I'm taking the prize off the table, and now I'll start hinting more, because if I hint, then it's not fair to win the prize. All right, I'll give you a hint. It was when it was describing. Something that normally we don't even try to become in Tanya. Right, a tzaddik. Because Tanya is Seva Shalbaninim. Seva Shalbaninim means per, the Bainani is the person who has perfect behavioral control, but he still experiences an inner conflict. And the tzaddik doesn't even have an inner conflict. And in fact, there are two levels of tzaddik. Very good tzaddik gomer, tzaddik sheina gomer, which is. In cha- it's a year and a half ago, which is in chapter seven. Close. I think introduction, no chapter. I think chapter. No, there was a whole chapter on Tzadikim. Yes, there was a whole chapter on Tzadikim. And then on, on the Rosh Yes. No. Between one and seven. Not between one and seven. It's after seven. Eight. Uh, you're close. Eleven is about the Russia. You're going. You know, twelve is already the Benini. Ten. Minor ten. Ten. So in chapter 10, it spoke about the tzaddik. It spoke about two levels of tzaddik, remember? Within a tzaddik, a tzaddik means somebody who has no internal conflict. A tzaddik is someone who has no internal conflict. He has no temptation. What? You found it? Did you find it in your notes? Could you read it to me? We have evidence that we actually learned this. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yes, correct. Can I show your notes on the camera? So people, yeah, bring, can we bring it to me? Can I show it? I just want to show everyone at home that we really learn over here. We really, hold on. We have a tiny map in the wall in the old room where we used to learn. Oh, we need one in this room. Okay, where? Right here. Oh, it's, okay. Let's see. Oh. So it says here, the tzaddik does mitzvahs and active intimacy like pleasing your parents. Do it because it's their, it's the right thing to do to bring them pleasure. Okay, amazing. So that was the definition of not just any t- Yeah, why not? Please. <clears throat> that was the definition of not just any tzaddik, but of the higher level tzaddik. Yeah, tzaddik gomer. Also known as a tzaddik betoivle, also known as in chapter 10, which we're just reading notes from, uh, the b'nei aliyah, the men of ascent. And they, one of the reasons they're called men of ascent is because they serve Hashem completely altruistically, only for Hashem's pleasure, not for their own. So listen to this. This is, this is wild. <sighs> In chapter 10, he told me, to serve Hashem with the motivation of a selfless child, is, in chapter 10, he told me that's the level not just of a tzaddik, but of the higher level tzaddik. Now in chapter 41, he's saying it as something for anyone, any benini, meaning all regular people. A benini is basically just the best version of a normal person. It's nothing categorically beyond 
what a normal person can achieve. Yeah, it's a very high level, but it's still, it's, it's attainable. It's not like a tzaddik where he's completely rid of any uh, internal conflict. A Bainini experiences internal conflict, but he just flawlessly deals with it. And yet, here in chapter 41, he's saying that that's, that's something that the Bainini should strive for, that he should try to have that level of motivation. I always... I don't, know, I don't want to say always, because I don't think I noticed it the first time I learned Tanya, but for, it's been a long time that I'm very moved by this idea, that an idea that in chapter 10 was considered to be a tzaddik idea, by chapter 41, it's presented as a, a benini idea, meaning something that's accessible for regular people, the idea of selflessness. And I got to tell you, you know, this is the Altareb, this is seven generations ago, but after the Alt Rebbe was the Mitla Rebbe, and after the Mitla Rebbe was the Tzamech Tzadik, and after the Tzamech Tzadik was the Rebbe Marash, and after the Rebbe Marash was the Rebbe Rishab, and after the Rebbe Rishab was the Fidik Rebbe, after the Fidik Rebbe was the Rebbe, when you, seven generations. When you learn the Rebbe's teachings, you see a lot of this, of like really stating it as a given that any Jew is capable of achieving that level of altruism, of serving Hashem way beyond personal gratification. And I don't mean be just beyond like reward and punishment, uh, personal gratification. I mean even beyond the loftiest, the loftiest spiritual motives like being able to delight in Hashem. Like the way that Ebba speaks about motivation, you could even get past that and you could totally just do the right thing because Hashem is gratified by it. And that's what he's saying here in chapter 41. When we're talking about motivation, so first we spoke about all. All has to be your motivation. And then we pivoted, we said, but love, love also has to be your motivation. And then the third part of chapter 41, you have to make sure that altruism, that's what I'm calling it, divine altruism, is your, is, is your motivation. Okay, so that's what he's describing here. Yeah. You said that the Benoni is the best level of a normal person. What's the worst level of a normal person? Oh, I don't want to talk about anything <laughs> negative. <laughs> Is there such a thing? Yes, of course. But I don't, yeah, it's called a Russia, but let's not talk about that. We don't need a book how to do that. When a yeah. person receives pleasure from knowing he's giving Hashem's Wow, so now you figured out a hack. You're like, but could I get pleasure from the fact that I know that I'm selflessly providing Hashem pleasure? And, then and you want to know the secret? I think the answer is yes. But here's the thing. You know what I think? I, I think the decisive factor is, mm -hmm. is that your motive? In other words, right, it's after the fact. In other words, you don't think that a tzaddik experiences incredible pleasure from closeness to Hashem? Whatever I'm able to get out of a chocolate cake on the best day, whatever I think a chocolate cake is going to do for me, when, at the perfect moment when I'm not, my stomach's not too, not too empty because then you get the sugar rush and, and not too full because then you can't really enjoy it. What, whatever my most perfect chocolate cake moment in my whole life was, a tzaddik is from a, from a, from a capital tillum is getting infinitely more pleasure, right? So we're not saying the tzaddik doesn't get pleasure. What we're saying is he does get pleasure, but it's not his motivation. Hashem's pleasure. Hashem's pleasure is his motivation. So, how do you get to that? But what I'm telling you, when you especially when you learn the Rebbe's teachings, he really states it as like a given that that is ultimately what you're wired for. That is what the neshama wants. You want Hashem's pleasure. I'm still trying to figure out Hashem and how to connect. I forget Hashem's yeah, well, maybe you need to skip that process. You're saying you're still trying to figure out Hashem. How can you get to Hashem's pleasure? Maybe skip trying to figure him out and just go to his pleasure. It's like marriage. You're like trying to figure this person out. Forget it. Just connect and be loving. And Yeah, okay. Well, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. All right. Remember I said at the beginning I want to finish? So let's keep moving. Okay. So, Kibrod Ishtadl, yeah. He says, nevertheless, meaning nevertheless, notwithstanding that this is a very high level, everybody should accustom himself to this kavana, to this intent. So when you're doing a mitzvah, you should think to yourself, oh, Hashem likes this so much. This is so pleasing to Hashem. And that should be part of your 
conscious motivation. Because even though, this speaks to your question, it may not be entirely consistent with your conscious feelings in your heart, meaning you're not entirely congruent with this level of motivation. Nevertheless, to some extent, you truly do want it. Because of the natural love that every Jewish heart possesses to do Hashem's will. And it is your true will to bring about this unification. So even though you're going to claim, I'm not congruent with this, this is such a lofty motivation, I'm not really feeling it. Well, stop a second. To some extent you are feeling it, because deep down, this is the true desire of the Jewish heart. What is this unification <coughs> that you're bringing about? It is the unification that occurs in Atzilus, in the highest world, that is triggered through your doing mitzvahs, learning Torah, that cause that, that ultimately the, the, the divine light is invested within the Torah that you're learning and the mitzvahs that you're doing, and you're causing a unification of that with Hashem in Atzilus. And then you bring out, you cause true oneness from that. What you're doing is, we alluded to this earlier, causing a unification of the level called a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the Holy One. Holy means aloof, separate, removed. And the aspect of divinity called Shechina, which is Shechanis, indwelling, imminent. So you're causing a unification between those two aspects of divinity. Um, Torah corresponds to the Kuchabrichu aspect. The bank of souls corresponds to the Shechina aspect, so you're uniting the Jewish people in the Torah, you're uniting, you're uniting the transcendent with the imminent, all of that's happening because you're learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. Even without kavana, right. the whole point is that your kavana is that you're doing this. I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. The point of this chapter is not to tell you what happens when you do a mitzvah. The point of the chapter is to tell you to think about the fact that this is what happens when you do a mitzvah and to think about it before you do the mitzvah as motivation for doing the mitzvah. Another way of describing this unification is the unification of Mamali and Sevev. Mamali is the filling light, Sevev is the transcendent light. At any rate, we have a few different paradigms for dis- we have a few different paradigms for discussing the same phenomenon. It's a unification of the Torah and the Jewish people. It's a unification of Kuchabichu and Shechinte. It's a unification of Seifah and Mamali. The point is, your mitzvahs are causing this unification. And why is that important? Why is it important for you to know this? As a motivator, that's it. Deep down, this is what you want. This is your true motivation. So don't say, oh, I'm not so lofty, I'm not so holy. Because you have that hidden love, that latent love, hardwired into your heart, to cleave to Hashem, and you do not want in any way whatsoever, God forbid, to be separate from Hashem. In fact, to the extent that you would give up your life in martyrdom, and we spoke about that. Remember, chapter eighteen, that the yeah, the, the Jewish soul has this instinctive inability to separate itself from Hashem. Okay, great. So now we're just talking about the fact that you have that instinctive ability, and one of the features of it is that, yes, you can serve Hashem altruistically, and in fact, to some extent, you do serve Hashem altruistically, and so let's let that be more of our conscious motivation. Yeah. How come here he, he calls it a habit? 
He, call, he uses both terms, avativis, avamisiteris. We use, we, we've been using both terms. Yeah, okay. Ve'esek teda mitzvah sefat filo hu gamkin inyan misiteris nefesh mamish kamei b'tseisa minakuv b'mleis shiv mishana. He says, by the way, learning teda and doing mitzvahs and davening is a form of martyrdom. It's a form of giving up your life. Just no blood. Um, yeah, but it's... Uh, when you, he, call, he calls it like you die at the end of your lifespan. So when you do a mitzvah, you learn Torah or you daven, it's a little, a little form of death. It's a little release. It's ego death. It's ego death. Yeah, what correct. It's your ego death. Correct. Yeah, yeah. She'ena maharheres aguf. Listen how he describes it. He describes it in very practical terms. He's going to describe it. Now, listen, 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 listen. Focus in. He's going to describe it in very practical terms. It's not, it's not going to elude you if you just listen. When you do this mitzvah, you learn this Torah, you daven, at that moment you're not thinking about, he says, you're not thinking about your, your bodily needs. Your thought is united with the letters of of Torah and Tefillah. The letters of Torah and Tefillah are Hashem's thought. And now your thought is becoming one with His thought. So you're surrendering your normal pedestrian, mundane thoughts of self-preservation, and you're thinking about Hashem, that's considered a form of death, in a good way. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's what the Neshamas in Gan Eden are doing, like it says in Zayar and in Except the difference is over there, they're getting extreme delight from what they're able to understand and they're able to become one with. This is in fact what we say at the beginning of the morning davening. <coughs> Uh, my God, the neshama that you gave me is pure. You blew it into me, and in the end, you will take it away from me. Kleimer, what does that mean? What is that? We have a new understanding of this uh, prayer. Kleimer, that means to say, since you blew it into me, and you're going to take it from me, so therefore, I'm the whole time I have it, I'm just going to keep giving it to you and uniting it with you. Like it says, to you, Hashem, I lift my soul. In other words, oh, I get it. This soul is really not mine. It's from a higher place. It's from Hashem. He's putting it in me for now. In the end, he takes it back. So even while I have it, I'm not supposed to keep it down here. I'm supposed to keep on, you know, it's a... Your, uh, racquetball, just keep hitting it back. That's no fun. Imagine he gives it to you and you like you hold on to it. No, you just keep on knocking it back to him. Okay. How do I knock it back to you? Through connecting my thoughts to your thoughts and my speech to your speech, which means the letters of Torah and Tefillah. Especially when you speak to Hashem in the second person, when you speak to Hashem in the second person, when you say, Baruch Ata, blessed are you, and, and you begin your, <clears throat> your morning with all the Birkas Hashachar, where you say, blessed are you, are you, are you, are you, so you're speaking directly, that's considered an act of direct surrender. And then also, with this same kavana, this same intent, you go and you learn a portion of Torah after you finish davening. Now, in the middle of the day, what if you start learning again? You need to do that preparation again. The main preparation to get yourself into the Lishma frame of mind is at the beginning of the learning session for Abainini. Why does he say that? As opposed to needing to keep the intention the entire time, it's good enough to just do it at the beginning when you log in. Like the rules, the halachas of writing a get, a bill of divorce, or a Sefer Torah, a Torah scroll. 
those need to be written lishma. You're not allowed to just write them generically and keep them uh, in your uh, warehouse and then just bust them out whenever you need to. You have to have specific intent when you write them beforehand. But over there, how, what constitutes writing it lishma? That at the beginning of the writing, you say, I'm hereby writing this for the, if you're writing a Torah scroll, I'm hereby writing this for the intent of this being the holiness of a Sefer Torah. Or if you're writing, God forbid, you're writing a get, but sometimes I have to write a get, you're saying, I'm writing this for this man and for this woman. Okay, so what he says is, you want to have the Lishma intent but you're not going to necessarily be able to maintain it the entire time. So when you get up in the morning and you say, and you're saying, ato, 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 you're speaking to Hashem in the second person, you're going to get into that frame of mind pretty easily. And if you roll with that, and after you finish davening, you go and learn some Torah, you're going to still have that frame of mind. Then you're going to go out, out and about and start doing your stuff, and then you're going to lose that intent. Okay, so just get it back. Re, refocus yourself on, on this uh, selfless intent. And he says, uh, just do it at the beginning of learning, when you get started learning. Okay, now, here's a problem, yeah? That's why um, in the Shmona Esrei, it's the first pair that you have to have Kavana for. The rest of it is not so important, but the first pair you have to have Kavana. Yeah. So the same idea. <coughs> Exact same idea. You prepare for the whole Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I see the, the similarity. Yeah. yeah. So, what? I'm confused. Yeah, what are you confused? This Lishma intent. Yes. It's supposed to be a motivator to do the mitzvah. Yes. But if you're already doing the mitzvah, you already had a motivation that led you to say, oh, I'm about to die. Maybe you were going to do it just because it's your habit. Okay. Or maybe you're going to do it with a kavana, but a lower level kavana. He wants you to tap into a higher level kavana right, right before you do it. Okay, now, I'm doing, I'm doing it for Hashem's pleasure. Now, what do you do when you have the problem, some of us have, that you learn many, many hours of Torah consecutively without, without stop? like some of you do on Mondays. And you come here and you just sit here all day long. Yeah. What if you learn many consecutive hours? At least once an hour you should have this deliberate thought. Once an hour. Why once an hour? Because we said it's good enough to do it at the beginning. And then if you forget about it or it recedes to the back of your mind afterwards, it's still okay. Because from the beginning, from the outset, you had the right intent. But if you're learning for many hours, then you have to refresh the intent at least once every hour. Why? Because every hour... There's a new elicitation of life force from the higher worlds to enliven the lower worlds. Every hour there's a new energy in the, in the universe. The energy from the previous hour goes back up, back up to heaven. In the manner that the Sefer Yitzira describes as running and returning, the pulsation of the life force. And when all that life force from the previous hour that enlivened the universe for that hour goes back to its source, it brings with it all of the Torah and the good deeds that were done down here during that hour. Because during the 12 hours of the day, every hour is a different combination of the four letters of Yud Kevavke. And during the 12 hours of night, every hour is a different combination of the four letters of Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. So every hour is a distinct energy. Therefore, at least once 
every hour you need to realign your conscious intent that you are doing this Torah study for Hashem's sake. Story time. When the Alter Rebbe was in prison, they tried to mess with him and they put him in a room without a window and they used to <clears throat> try to feed him at sporadic times and they would lie to him about the time <clears throat> to try to uh, break him down psychologically. And at one point he was davening because he had his talisman fill-in and they said, why are you praying the morning prayer? It's like, uh, it's the night time. And he said, no, I'll, I know what time it is. And he said the time. And they were marveling how they could never throw him off of his, his uh, internal clock. He always knew what time it was. So how did the Altareb know what time it was? Because he was sensitive to this, that every hour there's a different combination of the four letters, letters of Yudke Vavke in the daytime, and every hour in the night there's a different combination of four letters of Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud. And somebody who's sensitive to that knows exactly what time it is. And what kind of energies come down? What kind of energies? Just... It's something that's distinct. Each hour is its own hour. Is it like what do we know? Like do we know? Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't. Every hour on the hour? They're the halachic hours. <clears throat> the halachic hours, they're not the clock What's hours. The energy of this class? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe what, Maybe someday we'll have a class on. <clears throat> I know that. Uh, 3 a.m. is called the Nada What? We just did the supernatural. I just, you just learned this? No, it had like a different astrology for each hour. Every hour, yeah. yeah. I didn't like the 12 to 1 o'clock. You 12 to 1 a.m.? Yeah. Well, 12, 12, 12, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m.? <coughs> okay. Okay. 11 to 12 was good. Okay. Um, let's finish the chapter. Can we finish the chapter? Let's finish the chapter. Okay. Uh, we'll, I don't know if I'll take more questions, but uh, let's see. Let's finish the chapter, and then we'll see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Vehine kol kavonasim b'mesiras nafshe l'Hashem aidei atir v'atfila lalis nitzat elakush b'seichelim kedei. So the person's entire kavana, we called it mesiras nafish. Surrender, martyrdom. He's really giving himself up to elevate the godly spark which is within him. He's thinking about it in those terms, that there's a godly spark within him that's animating him. And by devoting himself to Torah and Tefillah and to mitzvahs, he's surrendering that and giving it back to Hashem. And this is his conscious motivation. And this is totally unilateral. You're just doing this for Hashem's satisfaction. Like we had before, anyone remember the chapter? The metaphor of the joy of the father whose only child was released from prison. You don't remember the chapter? It wasn't 30. You have the English Tanya, right? Bilingual Tanya? Okay, so they have good footnotes there. See if it's chapter 30, when he says, as mentioned above. <coughs> Where it says the metaphor of the father's joy when the... 31. 31. Okay. So, again, he's saying, your motivation... Should I tell you a real story? A guy comes up to me in Dubai. You know, I was in Dubai last week or the week before, yeah, and I was with 150 college students. And this college kid comes over to me, and he's holding um, Ramchal. I forget which safer, which maybe... Uh, it could be Derech Hashem. Yeah, but he, was, he comes over to me, and he says to me, I'm becoming aware that there's a tension between Chassidus Chabad and this Sefer. <laughs> you guys are laughing. I'm so blown away that you're even in on this joke. I'm really impressed because I was blown away that he was getting it. I said, you're right. I said, you're right. 
he said, I'm really sensing that there are very different ways of understanding things. I said, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. You're right. Uh, he says, is there any way to deal with it? I said, there's, yeah, sure, there's, I mean, it's all Torah. You'll, you'll find context for everything. What I told him of ultimately is I said, look, you can always, if you're dealing with real legitimate Torah ideas, there's a context for everything. Sometimes the question is, for you at least, what becomes your context and what do you have to contextualize? <laughs> In other words, you have your main way of looking at things and then you have other things that you can sort of integrate within that. Or the reverse. Another person might have, the thing that you're contextualizing might be their context. Follow what I'm saying? So he totally got it, though. He's like, it occurs to me that Chassidus Chabad is speaking about a motivation for serving Hashem which does not place emphasis on, on the personal gratification of the soul. Whereas the other worldviews, especially as espoused by, by Ramchal and Derech Hashem, and he explains very much the idea of Tainug, and Hashem wants this, Teva Tevlahetiv, Hashem is good, so what is the good that He wants? He wants your good, and He wants you to have pleasure. And it's all true, it's just the question is, is this our underlying motivation? The Balatanya would say, no, our underlying motivation is, is Hashem's pleasure. Kibro Dishtadl, to be like the selfless son. Um, so, where did I leave this kid? Because I'm not, probably not going to see him again. He's going back to campus. I just told him, keep learning both. And ultimately, you got to be honest. You got to find where your soul root is. I'm not too, you know, I'm not too worried about pushing an agenda. But I was really impressed that he identified that tension. tension. Yeah, and he's right. And I wasn't going to make it go away for him. I wasn't. Yeah, but nah. There's so many different. Yeah, well. That's true too. Okay, we have like a couple lines here. Let's finish off the chapter. Okay. Okay, so let's finish off the chapter. Can we finish? <coughs> okay, all right. Yeah. There is no one way? Let me say, because I'm a contrarian, I'm going to say there is one way. But yeah, because you kind of forced me to do it by because I saw you're pleading with me to not say there's one way, so now I have to say there's one way. But let me explain. They got wired the same way. Yeah. But that way zigs and zags. But it depends how you connect. What I'll say is like this: you can't say there's one way. That's just too black and white. But I think what you can say is that definitely for each of us at the time that we live and who we are and specific to the circumstances that we were born into and our calling in life, there's going to be a path that's most effective more than all others. It doesn't lessen the truth of other approaches, but what it means is, you know, you got to find your bashert. you got to marry your other half. you got to do your thing, which means you have to find your derech in Hashem. Okay, fine. Let's finish off this chapter. So he says, this intention really is <clears throat> truly the intention of every Jew. The Rebbe really doubles down on this, even more so. But uh, the Rebbe makes this like a foundational concept, that this is your true intention. The loftiest intention that you're doing mitzvahs just to give, give Hashem pleasure, that's your true intention. Where do you get it from? It's from the natural love that we inherited from our forefathers. I saw something very cool in a mimer that I was learning on Shabbos on my birthday. It was Ba'alois Chamaimer. And the, thank you. The Rebbe was saying, 
Torah is bittel, right? When we accept Torah and we do Hashem's will, we are mavatal ourselves, we, we nullify, nullify ourselves to Hashem. But then the Rebbe says, hold on, but the soul is also bittel. The soul is also, in, it's, it's, a, it's a surrendered being. It doesn't, it's not, doesn't have its own agenda, okay? So which is it? In other words, is our surrender to Hashem innate because of the soul, or is it something that is catalyzed through interacting with the mitzvahs? Okay, that's an interesting answer. So listen to what he says. <clears throat> he says, it's clear that there's a certain degree of innate surrender that the soul already has without Torah, as evidenced by, this, this was very cool to me, when Hashem offered the Torah, we said Nasa Venishma, which was a, an expression of submissiveness. So clearly we have submissiveness before we got the Torah because our response to whether we wanted to receive the Torah was a submissive response. So there's a certain amount of bittel, of, of surrender to Hashem, we already had before the Torah, which we were expressing when we said, we will do and then we will hear. However, there's a further degree of bittel that can only be achieved through the mitzvahs because then you are channeling Hashem's will and you are setting yourself completely aside and just being an extension of His will. So, at any rate, back on the point here. Baalei Shechasaneres Tav Shin Lamed Tes. It was the Baalei Shechamaymer from Chofal of Sivan, Shabbos Chofal of Sivan, 1969. Okay. So, he says, this intent is true, it's real, this is what you really want, because you inherited from your forefathers this selflessness. However, don't lie back on the fact that you inherited this spiritual trust fund. You have to set times to meditate on the greatness of God. So that you can also develop intellectual intellectually generated love and awe. And maybe, just maybe, dot, 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 like, like mentioned above. And I think what he's referring to, I think, see if it says in the English there, but it feels like he's referring back to ch- the end of chapter 14. Doesn't have anything. Maybe, or maybe it's just not referring back to any particular chapter, although he says Kinescaleo, like mentioned above, I think what he's saying is he's recognizing ultimately this is more of the domain of a tzaddik. Nevertheless, he's giving you a hint that it's a, it is approachable, and ultimately it's congruent with your deepest desire. So here's what he says. Look, you have this desire to do what Hashem wants, and just doing it only because it pleases Hashem. Okay? Uh, Set times to consciously think about the greatness of God to try to make that a conscious motivation. And it'll have whatever effect it has. And maybe, just maybe, if you do it often enough, at some point it'll click, and then it'll become completely your only motivation. Okay? But at any rate, that's the end of chapter 41. Remember what we're doing now? 41 through 50, every chapter is going to be another type of love, another type of awe, different meditations that elicit the different love and the different awe. That's what we're, doing, we're going to be doing for many weeks to come, God willing.